Welcome to Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Voices of Experience podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. No promotional fees have been paid to anyone appearing on Voices of Experience. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Voices of Experience on KIXI AM 880 and KKNW 1150 AM. You're listening to a simulcast on either station, or you may be listening to this on my podcast, and you're listening to it at a time that's convenient for you. So it all works. My name is Paul Casey, your host. Well, as usual, we have a pretty good lineup today. Actually, a great lineup of very diverse subjects. First of all, we're going to start out with James Donaldson, a former college and NBA great in basketball. But the subject he's talking about today is depression and suicide, especially with children. James Donaldson has started a nonprofit, and uh, he's talking about some of the experiences he had with depression and a near-suicide experience that he went through at one point. It's great that he's willing to share that with us today. Another feature, the World Almanac of 2024. We have the executive editor of that, Sarah Jansen. The World Almanac, we know about it, and it's been around forever. Later in the show, Eric Crema is talking to Dominic Alex. She is the acting CEO of Mary's Place. And what Mary's Place does is find housing alternatives. They will help pay rent or mortgage, even the heat. So here, what Alex has to say later in the show with Eric. We're also going to have a visit with the late actress Cindy Williams of Laverne and Shirley. She was in town in the 1990s, and she was in a play called Death Trap with Elliot Gould. I had a radio show then called Voices of Experience, and it was on Kixie. I was able to see the play and talk to her about that at the time. I was inspired by this because I thought about CBS Sunday morning at this stage of the year. We're getting close to the end of the year, and they profile some of the people who we lost during the year, and Cindy Williams we lost uh, in January of uh, 2023. So I had the thought to play that again. A real delightful person. Timeless classic for today. There are two excellent versions of this song, and I will play the Frank Sinatra version. It was originally sung by Judy Garland in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis. Well, I think things are teed up for the show today. Back with James Donaldson in just a moment. All right, my first guest today is James Donaldson. He is a graduate of Washington State University, outstanding basketball career with the Cougars. He went on to play professional basketball in the NBA with the Seattle Supersonics, San Diego Clippers, Dallas Mavericks, New York Knicks, Utah Jazz. He also played in an NBA All-Star game. He went on to play basketball in Europe, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. He now devotes the majority of his time to community activities and toward Gift of a Life Foundation. He speaks about mental health awareness and suicide prevention. He has had his own bouts with depression, and he came very close to taking his life. So he is now out there to help other people who are contemplating the same thing. And I felt that also in this time of year, because it's the holidays, well, there's a lot of people who are suffering now. So I thought this conversation 
would be appropriate right now. James, it's the holiday season, and uh, a lot of people appear to be having a really good time, but there's a lot of people who aren't happy right now. Either maybe they lose a family member, or for whatever reason, this is not a happy time of year. And I think some of what we see in social media today, that everybody seems to be having such a great time, it even makes it more difficult. Do you agree with that? I really agree with that. I mean, you know, looks are deceiving sometimes, and I think we all, at some point, uh, train ourselves to put on our happy face, our public face, and go about our business, not letting other people know what's really going on with us. And that adds to a lot of the stress when you see other folks seemingly happy. I mean, we don't really know for sure. But it makes your situation that much worse when you're not happy inside and you see other people seemingly very happy. Where do you think there's that line of just, let's say, you have the holiday blues and that line that it's beyond that, that it's getting to a point where you should be really concerned and maybe get professional help or even beyond that? Well, if you find yourself just, you know, shying away from invitations to social events, uh, you really don't want to be asked because, you know, you'll probably be forced to say yes, and then you get into an uncomfortable situation. But you much rather stay home all by yourself in your loneliness and sadness. That, I think, is a point where you have to really look at yourself and say, wow, this isn't normal. You know, I should be out there socializing with all my friends and family and enjoying it. But here I am feeling, you know, much more comfortable all by myself, and I'm not happy being here either. Uh, I think at that point, people have to say, well, I, I need I need to work my way out of this. I need to get some help, a mental health professional, or at least talk to your doctor about it. That's always my first strategy. My first step is to talk to your family doctor about these things because they they see this all the time, and they, they tend to know exactly if you're if you're candid and truthful with them, what the remedy is, how to help you out of that situation. And that's exactly what I went through, and that was my first step, was to talk to my family doctor. Uh, and he took some extra time with me as a patient, 15, 20 minutes more, and just kept asking probing questions, and I kept being very forward with it and uh, candid about it. And he said, wow, James, you are, you are really suffering from uh, depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. Uh, we need to get your help. And you've been doing a lot of work with many different people, but you have really focused on students and younger individuals. How has that gone? What are you seeing now in the high schools and may have been different from your experience growing up, that there are pressures they have that we didn't? It's, it's totally different nowadays uh, than when I was a teenager. And I worked mainly with uh, teens, uh, middle school, high school kids. Um, so many of them, because they don't have the life experience, uh, they're not sure, they're not, they don't have the skill set to work their way through the ups and downs of life not at 14 or 15 years old. They, they just don't know. This might be the first adverse situation they've ever had to encounter, and they're not sure what's going on. And so when I go and speak to the, to the kids, I, I let them know that, hey, this is something that may and probably could happen to just about everybody, to go through some kind of funk, to go through a depressed state, uh, to be really anxious about everything, and even if it gets bad enough to have suicidal thoughts. And so here's what we can do to help you and even prevent you from getting there. 
So I share with them a lot of really helpful uh, tips and, and habits that they can develop on how to maintain a healthy mindset before you even get to that that crisis moment. Uh, simple things. I mean, things like making sure you have a best friend, you know, two or three best friends. We grew up with best friends, and these kids nowadays, they don't have that. Their their best friend is in their pocket with their, their cell phone, uh, their iPad, uh, their social media feeds. That's that's the relationships that they build. They're not real people who can be there in a time of a time of need. You know, get out and exercise, walk, run, play, ride your bikes. Kids don't do that anymore. And all of these things are really starting to overwhelm our our young people now because they don't have those outlets. All these mental health issues are temporary. Suicide is permanent. There's no coming back from that. James if someone wanted to contact you and talk to you about this, email you, give you a call, how would they best do that? Well, you know, go to my website. Uh, my website is yourgiftoflife.org. And quite a few people uh, contact me from all around the country. matter of fact, I just had a, a, a fellow basketball colleague contact me last week. Uh, you know, he tells me that some of the things we have in common. He's seven foot two as well. Uh, he didn't play professional basketball like I did in the NBA. He played a little bit in Europe, and he's over there in Switzerland right now living. And he really wants to talk with me and connect with me. So we set up a Zoom call where we're just going to have some FaceTime and just talk, and he wants to share some of the depressions that he's been going through, some of the anxieties. This has happened numerous times, especially with men. Men are a little bit different of an animal where we just think we can handle all this stuff all by ourselves. But when they see another man that they respect, they they want to reach out to that person and have that conversation. And I appreciate that, and I welcome that from anybody, anywhere. Uh, so far, it's been mainly men. A lot, of, a lot of women follow me on Facebook and social media, and they contact me there. But the men are the ones who want to pick up the phone and have an actual conversation with me. So go to my website uh, at org. There's a secondary number I plug in there, which you can call me on, and I do answer and pick up. Uh, so that number is on the website as well. And I encourage anybody and everybody, if they need somebody to talk to, somebody who's actually been through what they're going through, I'm right here for them. When you mention about men, I believe that it's a lot harder for men to admit these things because we don't let our feelings out and that's great that they're doing that because of you and uh, i just think you know you're so courageous during your challenges and um you've got through them and i just i finally want to ask you where are you at now how are you feeling you know i'm feeling really good i feel like i'm totally back together again Minus all the material trappings I used to have, you know, when before I, I hit the skid in my life. You know, the house and the car and the money in the bank and all those things, they're all, they're all gone. The wife, uh, the stepkids, they're, they're all gone. Everything's gone. So I'm rebuilding all of that. But I feel really good in a, in a good place mentally. And I look out on the horizon now and I say, wow, the sky's the limit. You know, the possibilities are endless. And I'm so grateful, so tremendously blessed to still be here. And I, I talk to God every night, and I say, hey, I'm just so thankful for another day. And you got me through what I went through. To be able to share and share my story, for one thing, 
but also to help so many people that I know I'm helping. Happy holidays to you and a great 2024 coming up for you, too, as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. I mean, this is a really important message for everybody out there. Uh, we're going through a mental health crisis in this country right now with uh, 50,000 people taking their lives last year, an all-time high. 10% of them are children between 10 and 14 years of age, 5,000 children. That's then, stunning. Really, I didn't know that. It is stunning. 5,000 children. 10 to 14 lives. years old. Jeez, they're not even hitting yeah. their teens yet. That's, that's, that's the tragedy of all. They, don't, they haven't even begun to live yet. And they're, 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 they're taking their lives. Uh, the other big, huge demographic is older men, older elderly men, 65 and up, are taking their lives at record numbers. And so we, we have a big problem. And I think the easier, the more we can have the conversation, I think it would be further, uh, the help, the assistance, and letting folks know that they are not alone. And it is okay not to feel okay. Just make sure you go get some help. Leave it on that. James, thank you very much. Okay, again, my thanks to James Donaldson for joining us. You can reach his nonprofit foundation. It's called Your Gift of Life Foundation, and you can visit the website at yourgiftoflife.org, yourgiftoflife.org, all one word. My sincere thanks to James Donaldson for sharing his story. One more time, yourgiftoflife.org. You can see resources from books to advice and other resources that you can connect with. You're listening to Voices of Experience right here on Kixie AM 880 and KKNW AM 1150. Hi, I'm Eric Rima in studio with Eric Ryder. How are you? Hey, doing great. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. You know, that's an important interview we just heard. This is the time of year for many that loneliness can seep in and and um, you know, sometimes it doesn't have the sweetest of memories or even just the stress, you know. So that was important, and uh, that was a great interview. Looking Very forward true. to the rest of the show. We have coming up here real shortly, Meandering Musings with, of course, Neil Peterson. Uh, Meandering Musings could be had uh, at where you find your favorite podcast, but also go to their website, right? MeanderingMusings.net. MeanderingMusings.net. I do want to give out another uh, website, and that is to VoicesOfExperience.com. That's where you can learn about all things Paul Casey in this program. Uh, go to the website and definitely take the um, the self-employment employment quiz. It's kind of fun, even if you're just not thinking about getting into self-employment. Who knows? Give it a try. See what happens. See if you're... Uh, maybe in your future, is is running your own business. This program airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m., again, on KKNW and Kixie, and Sundays as well at 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. And, Eric, as you know, the podcasting numbers just keep going up. People love to subscribe and listen podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so do that. How about we get right into Neil Peterson's Meandering Musings? Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, remember on Monty Python how they do that? And now for something completely different. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, well, coming off our last interview on, on to Meandering Musings uh, with Neil Peterson talking about finger bowls today. Mm. Let's find out more. Finger bowls. Whatever happened to finger bowls? A bowl of water that dinner guests use to rinse their fingers. What do we have now? Wet wipes. Really? There's no comparison in my mind. Wet wipes require you to open the package that it's contained in. 
that in itself can be challenging for some of us. Do we use our teeth? A knife? Do we rip it open with our hands? Bottom line, opening a wet wipe is not a slam dunk. Then, once opened, you have to unfold the wipe. Once you've wiped your hands, then you have to do something with the wipe, which is now dirty and needs to be thrown away. But there's no place to throw it away when you're sitting at a dinner table, either in a restaurant or in someone's home. No one provides waste baskets under the dining room table for individuals to have a place to dispense their used wet wipes. Now compare this to a finger bowl. Let's be honest. There's an elegance associated with using a finger bowl. There is something special about a round, usually clear, see-through bowl sitting either in the center of a dining room table or alongside your place setting. The bowl of water usually has a slice or two of lemon in it, or a flower or flower leaves, or a sprig of mint may be floating in it. It not only cleans the fingers, but it also eliminates the odor of food from the hands. It is a statement from the server or the cook or the host that we want you, the guest, to have the best dining experience you can have. It is something extra, something extra special. At the same time, the finger bowl is unbelievably functional. All one has to do is lightly dip your fingers, one hand at a time, into the laced with lemon slices, lukewarm, half-filled bowl of water. Most finger bowls are four to five inches in diameter. Once immersed, you can pull out your cleansed fingers and daintily dry them off with your napkin. How simple is that? When was the last time you sat down for a meal and there was a finger bowl on the table? Finger bowls have somehow faded from our dining tables. Finger bowls were much more prevalent in the 1800s. They began to decline in use during World War I when the U.S. Food Administration instructed restaurants to do away with excess silver, bone china, and glassware. During the heyday of finger bowls, there was an accepted etiquette surrounding their use. In a more formal meal, the finger bowl was usually brought out when dessert was served to each individual's place setting. After dessert, the guests will use the finger bowl before excusing themselves from the table. At more informal meals, the finger bowl could be brought out at any time during the meal. Further, the proper etiquette is to daintily dab the tips of your fingers into the bowl, not your entire hand. And the lemon in the bowl is not supposed to be squeezed or even touched. You may ask, why, Neil, are you talking about finger bowls? Well, last evening, I went to a crab-boiled dinner event where all the guests were using their hands to devour the phenomenal Dungeness crab meat. Even when using all the tools one normally uses to get at crab meat, the meat located in its legs and torso, your fingers and hands get overrun with juices and smells from the crab. What to do? As I looked around my table for a finger bowl, all I could find were two little packages of wet wipes. Oh my God, I said to myself, this situation needs a finger bowl. I asked the waitress if it would be possible and sure enough, in a few minutes, she delivered a large finger bowl for all of us to use. It felt great to put my fingers into the bowl of water, which had slices of lemon. I asked myself after this, what has happened to finger bowls? I realized that I missed them. It's one thing to have finger bowls at a very fancy dinner, 
But it's another thing to have finger bowls available when you're eating finger foods during a more informal meal. Corn on the cob, fried chicken, asparagus, clams, mussels, Dungeness crabs, to name a few. Imagine what a thrill it would be for your guests if you provided finger bowls the next time you serve dinner at your home or apartment. Or for that matter, what would happen if the next time you were in a restaurant that supplies you with some wet wipes, you instead asked the waiter or waitress if it would be possible to have a finger bowl instead? I'm all for a revival of finger bowls. You learn something every time that man speaks. <laughs> That's right. Finger bowls. I never would have thought know. about finger bowls. No, who, who listening knew? to that. You know, the cool thing is if you go to meanderingmusings.net, you can look at all the past podcasts, and he actually has the written blogs and things that he does. It's a mm-hmm. real fun website, so highly recommend doing, doing that. Great job, Neil. As always, Eric, we have coming up an interesting interview Paul did with uh, Sarah Jansen with the World Almanac. I love the World Almanac, that kind of stuff where you just – like learning little facts and figures about the world around us. For sure. Let's check it out. I'm speaking with Sarah Jansen, and she's the editor of the World Almanac, the 2024 edition. Covers a lot of different issues that they weren't covering before. For example, they have a section in there about election 2024. It covers all voters need to know about the 2024 presidential season. Uh, It also has some editor's picks time capsules, the World Almanac list, items that most come to symbolize the year 2023. It has the top 10 news topics of the year in sports, years in pictures, offbeat news stories. Sarah is the editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts and other diverse reference books. She is co-author of Under the Covers and Between the Sheets, Facts and Trivia about the World's Greatest Books, but she currently lives in Brooklyn, New York. First of all, how long have you been editor of the Almanac? And secondly, what drew you to this occupation? Oh, I've been uh, executive editor of the World Almanac for a few years now and an editor in general for about 15 years. And I was drawn to World Almanac editing and just reference editing in general by just being a kind of nerdy, curious person who really likes to learn about what's going on in the world. You mentioned that you're curious. Was that something that was a part of you when you were very, very young? You were asking questions all the time and your parents are going, actually, hey, enough, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, more likely, they would uh, they would hand me a book and tell me to find out for myself. And one of those books actually was ultimately a World Almanac. I got a copy of the World Almanac with a computer game called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? And that came bundled together. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. It had all the flags. It had all the, the world maps and interesting information about all the countries. And I've been uh, hooked ever since. And starting with this about the Almanac, what separates, let's say, the 2024 edition that sets it apart from other editions down through the years? Well, you know, the World Almanac always has some elements that are the same every year, and it also always changes a lot from year to year. We like to say that about a third of the book is mostly untouched, like your copy of the Constitution, your your periodic table. Uh, about a third of the book is just updated with the most recent year's information, so that'll be like 
tables of historical data, economic data, populations, that kind of thing. And then about a third of the book, believe it or not, is brand new every year. That's adding new features, like our new feature on the uh, 2024 election preview. Yes, for example, I see they're listing items that symbolizes 2023, like including the phenomena of Swifty this year. I have never seen a phenomena this big in the country for an entertainer since the Beatles. It's certainly an interesting year for someone who's been a pretty big part of pop music for well over a decade now. Um, but obviously in 2023, we have the big concert tour. We have the relationship with a big sports star. So there's people maybe getting introduced to Taylor Swift that weren't necessarily Swifties to begin with, but were big football fans or NFL fans and, and are interested in the fact that her face shows up uh, on their TV screens during a football game more than just about any other uh, person in those those fancy boxes. So it's been an interesting year to follow pop culture. The, the Tide Capsule is a really fun way for the World Almanac editors to reflect on those kinds of stories that wouldn't necessarily make the global headlines or wouldn't necessarily be in your, your most important stories of the year, but they were certainly one of the bigger stories being talked about. Well, you uncovered something there in, in your conversation of describing this Swifty phenomena. That is, I never really made the connection to the sports that really became a part of her story this year and probably added a lot to that. What are there other sports stories of the years that are unique and kind of fun? Well, obviously, in 2024, we had not just the Women's World Cup, which, while it was a disappointment for U.S. team fans, um, you know, is still a huge global phenomenon. For We're also looking ahead to 2024, looking ahead to the Summer Olympic Games, which are going to be huge in Paris this summer. There's also a really um, exciting solar eclipse that's going to happen this spring that we're really excited about because almost everyone in North America is going to have a great view of this solar eclipse. It's incredibly unusual, um, and we're looking ahead to, to make sure we're going to be covering that in the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2025, if you can believe it. Can you find yourself looking at the facts and maybe projecting out to the future what may happen with greater accuracy if you hadn't been, let's say, in your position? Do you see what I'm driving at? I do. And, you know, that's an interesting question. I've never really thought about it quite that way. I would say that probably the opposite is true. I would say, actually, that the, the more that I read and learn and research and find out from these various sources, these thousands of sources that the World Almanac editors consult every year, the more I realize that I really don't know anything at all. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it's it's very humbling to have this job because you always find something new to learn about, something that you've never been aware of is a huge thing, a huge part of, you know, millions of people's lives. And it's it's definitely an interesting, if you're a curious person, um, it's a, an interesting way to have perspective on the world and what a small part you are in it. Well, you know, I look at the Almanac, too, in this world that sometimes, more often than not, we don't trust the news or can't because we don't know the sources. I go back to a show called Dragnet back in the 1960s and 70s, and Jack Webb would come to a door of some situation that was, um, you know, something was happening, and 
he'd ask the person to recount what just occurred, and the person would get off and start talking in various directions of what occurred, and then he would stop and say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. <laughs> and that's always yeah. resonated with him. You remember that? And, and it's kind oh, of... Sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and how he came to that. And I'm thinking more than ever, we need just the facts, and actually the World Almanac, because of those news sources that you can't rely on, you are getting just the facts here, and that's very important. You know, we 100% agree, and especially in 2023, when so many news resources that we've relied on for years just don't have the financial resources they've had, don't have, you know, even the people in seats that they've had for years. You know, the World Almanac still invests a big chunk of their time and budget in making sure every single fact is fact-checked and reviewed by one of our researchers. You know, this is something that, again, you can understand it. A lot of a lot of uh, references and news outlets just don't have those resources anymore. But because the World Almanac only comes out once a year, we have the time to take and the financial resources to invest in making sure that what we put on the page is the authoritative and essential information on whatever subject you have, happen to be reading about on that page. Can you get this book online? You sure can. You can order it really online wherever books are sold. You can also get our ebook version, which is a really interesting way to look at the World Almanac. Now you can download it to whatever your preferred reader device is your iPad, your Kindle, your Nook. I'm sure there are, you know, 13 other ones that I don't know the names of. We can download it to your device and actually um, make it into a searchable book, which is something that is a little bit harder when you've got the, the big paperback or hardcover. And you can search through the World Almanac on your e-reader that way, too. Well, thank you to Sarah Jansen. And I do want to suggest that if you'd like to get a copy of the book, all you need to do is Google World Almanac 2024. Yes, this morning on U.S. West Profiles of Experience is motion picture, theater, and TV star Cindy Williams. Miss Williams is best known for her role as Shirley Feeney in the classic TV series Laverne and Shirley. But prior to that, she received the British Film nomination for Best Supporting Actress in perhaps the most successful movie sleeper of all time, American Graffiti. Ms. Williams will be in Seattle from February 25th to March 9th, co-starring with Elliot Gould in the thriller Death Trap at the Paramount Theater. Cindy, what attracted you to the acting profession? I'm glad you asked that question, Paul. I couldn't type, and so it was the only thing left. No, I love to, um, I love to act. I, you know, when I was a little kid, I, you know, I was the kid on the block who put on all the shows in the garage and got all the other kids to act in them, and I wrote and directed and produced them, and I just always... I just always loved to act. It was just something that was uh, natural. It just was natural to me. If you could go back to the beginning of your career, would there be any changes you would have made? I would have gone on and um, studied theater uh, a lot longer and a lot more seriously than I did. I, I, I went to Los Angeles City College uh, and majored in theater there, which was it was a very difficult and formidable course. But I would, I would have continued on and gotten a much deeper education because I think that that's the basis of all um, confidence for actors especially is to, ha is to be, uh, have your feet planted, fir you know, uh, firmly on the ground and 
and know what you're doing. What other profession would you have pursued if it wasn't the acting profession? I would have been a, uh, an RN. Uh, honest to God, that's what I wanted to do. The reason I didn't pursue uh, a career in nursing was because um, I was only a C student in physiology, and so I figured, who wants a nurse with a C in physiology? So. Anyway, and I couldn't stand the sight of blood either, Paul, so that, that sort of threw a wrench into the work. Well, how has the acting profession changed, let's say, in the last 20 years? It's changed immensely. It used to be, um, you know, it used to be about your, your art and about your uh, enthusiasm with your art and your talent. And, uh, and the enthusiasm has now, over the past 20 years, given way to sort of a terrible kind of competitiveness. Uh, it's not it's not fun anymore, Paul. When did you uh, realize that, say, Laverne and Shirley was a hit? The first time that we realized, Penny and I were asked to do the Macy's Day Parade and be on a float, but we thought, well, we don't want to be on a float. You know, we'll just walk in the parade because that'll be fun. So we tried walking in this parade and, and got rushed by the crowds. And we thought they were going for someone behind us. We had no idea, truly. And then we realized that it was us and that this was bigger than both of us. Well, let's get to the reason you're coming to Seattle. And uh, you're going to be here from February 25th to March 9th in a play called Death Trap. Right. What's it about and what role do you play? It's a thriller in two acts. It's, it's not without comedy. Elliot Gould plays uh, Sidney Brule, who's a writer of mystery plays, thrillers. And uh, I play his wife, Myra. And that's all I can tell you. Okay, well, and, we'll and, have to go see it, it then. And it has many, many twists and turns, and it's a lot of fun. I want to appreciate your time. Thank and, you so uh, much for yours. Welcome to today's Voices of History. 80% of New Orleans, including much of downtown, is underwater. The Big Easy's famous Canal Street, living up to its name. Apparently, a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. I just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. I did. That was out of absolute Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. And you're listening to Voices of Experience. This is, of course, Voices in History, Voices of History. Uh, what do we have on tap today, Aaron? Well, a lot of stuff happening this okay. week, as every week, you know, it seems like when you look back in history. And, uh, you know, this day in history... Elvis Presley was drafted. So, okay. you know, that was an important part of his career, and the Elvis lore was his uh, days serving in the Army. Yeah, the big time. You know, if you go down to Graceland, Graceland itself is on one side of the street, and then right across from it is the museum, which is massive. It has his airplanes, everything. One of the bis- biggest exhibits is his time in the Army. And uh, they, they kept every scrap of everything. It was un- unimaginable. Everything they had is crazy. Wow. But interesting. Spend You're going to spend some time. <laughs> One of these days I'll get yeah, a chance check to it check out. it out. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. So in 1989, the U.S. invaded Panama. Oh, yeah. Yes, 89. You okay. and I are old enough to uh, remember that. We were Honestly, um, I called into a radio station. I was at the time not a fan of Reagan, and I called in and talked about how I didn't agree with it. And, you know, I, I didn't think we should be in there and. Um, I just remember getting on the air and doing that. I was all of, like, 17, 16. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, in an attempt to overthrow military dictator Manuel Noriega, who'd been indicted in the United States on drug trafficking charges and was accused of suppressing democracy in Panama and endangering U.S. nationals, Noriega's Panamanian defense forces were promptly crushed 
forcing the dictator to seek asylum with the Vatican in Panama City, where oh, yeah. he surrendered on January 3rd, 1990. And I remember that uh, the U.S. forces were, because they couldn't go into the embassy, he was uh, he was safe there with the asylum, uh, they were blasting like like uh, heavy metal oh, music, right. trying to get him to come out, but that's that's a risky gambit because maybe he likes that. Maybe music. it's hard to tell. You know, we don't. I mean, they're having a great time. <laughs> and I've actually screwed up because you said eighty nine. Yeah, so that would have been uh, that would have been Bush Senior. I was thinking of Grenada. Yeah, Grenada. And I remember okay. Grenada. So yeah, you're right. Panama, different situation. Sorry about that, folks. 1995, NATO assumed peacekeeping du- duties in Bosnia. Mm. And let's see, uh, a little local here, cold, wet, and gray. December 17th seems to be a nexus of chilly history. On that day in 1871, record snow blanketed much of the Puget Sound region, and it was so cold that the Snohomish River froze. Wow. On December 17th, 1990, a windstorm tore through Puget Sound and cost Washington State ferries more than $3 million in damages. And beginning on December 17, 2008, two weeks of awful winter weather bat- uh, battered the state. I remember that one. And, uh, 1990 and uh, 1871 were before my time yeah. <laughs> uh, here in the Northwest. But, uh, yeah, it's just amazing as we look outside today and see sunshine. Yeah. And temperatures around 50 degrees, just how much it varies. And they're saying this weekend, right up at the holidays, it's going to be gorgeous. Uh, this has been a very mild, I would say, fall and winter. Absolutely. Is it winter yet? I, has it started yet? That's a good question. Think, isn't that tomorrow? <laughs> Maybe it's tomorrow the 21st. That's right. It is tomorrow. Okay, yeah, there you that's go. winter there solstice. Yeah. That's when it starts getting lighter, right? Each and every that's day? That's right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because now we're, we're like getting sunset like 419 or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, one more here. Uh, on this day in 1966, Seattle made it into the big leagues with its own NBA franchise, which team owners chose to name after the supersonic transport, a fast and high-flying jet plane of the future that was then under development at Boeing. But whereas the SST never left the runway, the Sonics, as they were soon called, took off, soared to great heights, and then eventually disappeared into the distance. Yes. So, yeah, we I think everybody misses the Sonics here. Absolutely. But, yeah. We're chomping at the bit to get them back. I was actually I was able to go to a few of those games when they played the Bullets in that final, um, and it was, it was so exciting. But it was one of those things when I was pretty young, you don't realize how good you have it in the moment. You know, looking back, it was so cool that I was there. I remember the parade and seeing the wheel and, you know, uh, in the parade and all the players. And it was it was an amazing time to be in Seattle. I would imagine it's much like those who were, say, 10 years old when the Seahawks won, you know, the Super Bowl. Those memories stick with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And... Um I think we could do one more here. Uh, On December 17, 1962, Seattle Mayor Gordon Clinton officiated at a dedication ceremony celebrating the arrival of the first water from the city's new Tolt River supply system, which was delivered to the newly completed Lake Forest Park Reservoir. The next day, Clinton was on hand for the dedication of Seattle's Lake Washington Ship Canal Bridge, but it did not go smoothly 
The ribbon was cut way too early, <laughs> and everyone ran to the cars before any of the uh, speeches were given. So, <laughs> Somebody's out, like, I'm out of yeah, here. 1962. All right, well, and, there you go. Yeah, it could have been a, a cold day, maybe. Now, so. have you ever gone through the ship canal? I haven't. It's uh, There's something really neat you can do. You can I don't know if they still have it, but you can rent electric boats in Lake Union, bring them through there and into Lake Washington. And it's just a really nice, slow-paced ride. You get to see a good part of the city. I think I've got a plan for next out. summer. Absolutely. Well, thanks to History.com and to HistoryLink.org uh, for that uh, look back. Really, really good ones, Eric. Voices Thank of you History. so much. And if you're, uh, if you're so inclined, please check out VoicesOfExperience.com. Learn about this program. Paul, the books he's written, take that quiz. You're going to enjoy it. We have some great stuff coming up here real shortly, right, Eric? That's right. You've got an interview coming up uh, that you did recently. And uh, look at me pat myself on the back. <laughs> yeah, I had a chance to interview uh, Dominique Alex, who is the uh, interim CEO uh, at St. Mary's. We're going to talk all about that charity and how it works and who it helps. Fantastic. That is coming up. Stay tuned for more Voices of History. Or Voices of Experience, rather. Voices of History is now history. You have been listening to Voices of History. If you have historical events that you would like to share, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. And Paul, as promised, we have in studio with us Dominique Alex. She's the interim CEO of Mary's Place. We're going to learn all about it. Hi, Dominique. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks really appreciate it. I said Mary's Place. Let's uh, let the audience know all about it. Absolutely. We're an organization in the greater King County area that supports families who mm-hmm. are housing and stable to keep their hard-won homes or find their way to a new home. So it could be a situation where you're already in a house, you're just sort of struggling, and Mary's Place can help out, or if you're looking for housing... Yeah, absolutely. So at Mary's Place, we uh, like to call it a three-prong approach. We meet families where they're at, come alongside, whether that's helping with rental assistance to stay in their hard-run homes, which is our prevention program. Um, We have a mobile outreach team that goes out into the community. Um, Our specialists meet families in their cars, their tents. Mm. If a child is being discharged who's medically fragile, coming alongside so that they have a place to exit that's safe warm and welcoming um, as they go through their journey on health. Uh, We also um, have our shelters, 24-7 shelters um, that allow families to come inside now who need a place to stay tonight. So it's interesting to me how, and sad too, how complex this problem is. And it affects all ages, all sort of backgrounds and, and history, right? The history of how you got there. Mary's Place has its own special way of attacking the problem. Let's go a little deeper into that. Absolutely. Well, if you need help tonight, you can call our 24-7 emergency intake line, and that serves all of King County. Mm -hmm. And we know what beds are available tonight Mm -hmm. to be able to really bring families inside who need that support in shelter. If we know there's someone in the community, um, there's families that are sleeping in bushes that are across the street from their school so their children can continue to go to school, um, our specialists meet them right there. And so we found that, like, 
what we can do to move upstream through the pandemic is keeping people in their hard-won homes. And so what we really try to do is let people know we want to help you stay there, reduce the trauma on children, and have that ability to help pay with that rental assistance that they may be behind on and helping stabilize as they think about how can I stay in this home what resources do I need, like childcare, right? Mm-hmm. So connecting mm-hmm. them to those types of resources with community partners so that they have those needs and can sustain staying in their home to reduce that trauma on their children. So really, it's a helping hand. Absolutely. And for our neighbors. Yeah. Talk about the geography that, again, you cover. So we have those five twenty four seven shelters that I spoke about across King County. We have some on the east side. We have some in our downtown Seattle area as far as Burien and Kenmore. And so if folks needed a bed tonight, um, we can bring them inside to support them there. We also have our partners who are in shelters that we also, when you call that emergency intake line that I spoke about, Mm -hmm. we know what's available tonight. So also placing families in those shelters when Mary's Place is full. Um, So we're working in collaboration together. Can I get that phone number? It's Mm -hmm. 206-245-1026. Great. 206-245-1026. That's wonderful. What is the situation outside? You know, we we get on the highways and byways and occasionally we may see someone in in the bushes in a tent or alongside the highway. Again, very sad situation, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond what you can just see from our roadways. Um, So maybe you can bring us up to date on what is the current situation with the homeless here in our region? The situation outside today is worse than we've ever seen it. Um, a year ago, we had half the calls that we're seeing today hmm. come into that intake line that I spoke about. Um, there's about 50 to 60 callers. And because everyone is at capacity and shelter today, only one or two families are actually able to come inside. And so we've never seen it like this. Right before the pandemic in 2019, we actually were ensuring that no child slept outside. But today, there are too many children and families and people sleeping outside, um, something we've never seen. We all have a part in creating a solution, right? Well, we're sitting here right now in the throes of the holidays. And this is a good time when people think, I want to help out. I feel blessed in my life, and I'd like to help those who are struggling. Uh, What is the best way people can do that? Yeah, thanks for asking. So there's many ways. Some people can give their financial resources, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's other people that you might want to do a coat drive or a diaper drive. Um, There's gifts that families who are in shelter or sleeping in their cars, we can bring those to them and so that they can have a wonderful holiday season despite their circumstances. So the joy for children is still alive and that they can be kids, right? So people can donate their time. We have holiday parties that we're having across our shelters, Um, And so people can come in and gift wrap with families, help be an elf, and uh, really think about um, how to have that impact in your community and be a part of the solution. So, Dominique, uh, it sounds to me that there's a lot of options for people to give to Mary's Place, whether it's giving of their time, giving of some resources, giving dollars, because the needs out there beyond just the holidays, right? This is something that's there day in, day out, 365. Yes, absolutely. This is a problem, too, that often is invisible. Um, I think sometimes when you're driving into work and you stop at the stoplight, as you Mm -hmm. referred to earlier, um, that is one face of homelessness. But you don't often see families out there. And so families are 
usually invisible because they're afraid of losing their children. And so this awareness of who's in your community, these are our neighbors. And so how do we help everyone thrive? And that is, again, thinking about how do we ensure no child sleeps outside, reaching out to your neighbors, figuring out who is in your schools. There's kids that are homeless in the classrooms. Mm. And so often you don't know that. But if you go to Mary's Place, Seattle.org, you can learn about how to become a part of that solution. Um, some folks do things like make a home. You can be a part of when a family moves out into their new housing. You can get a group together and help set up a bathroom or make a room um, by those donations you might collect with your neighbors or a Girl Scout troop, right, um, and be a part of that solution. But this is a year-round crisis that is not going to end anytime soon because of those reeling impacts from the pandemic mm. and the eviction moratoriums ending and all of the safety nets. When you think about buying a carton of eggs – it's really hard to afford that now. We have seen things double and triple. And families are choosing between, do I pay my rent or do I feed my children? Mm. Those are not choices we should ever have to make. But those are the things that are making people experience homelessness or housing instability. And Mary's Place is there to stand in the gap, meet them where they're at. And we can all be a part of helping be a part of that solution. Well, Dominique, thank you so much for your time today. I can hear it in your voice, the passion that you have. I've been on your website. It's a wonderful website. It's really easy to navigate. And I imagine your team shares your same values and energy for helping to find a solution, huh? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I want to ensure that no child sleeps outside today in this cold weather, but also for the rest of our time here on this earth, right? We can go. be a part of not having the next generation be homeless. And so the past predictor of homeless, uh, the greatest predictor of future homelessness is past homelessness. So let's stand in the gap together and help ensure that no child sleeps outside today. Thank you so much. And there, is, there are several ways you can get involved. First, if you need help today, 206-245-1026, 206-245-1026. If you want to just learn more about Mary's Place, it's marysplaceseattle.org. And then learn more about No Child Sleeps Outside at nochildsleepsoutside.org. That's nochildsleepsoutside.org. That's all the time we have for Voices of Experience for today. My name is Paul Casey. Now, any comments of what you heard about uh, any matter we talked about today, you can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Next week, we're going to play an encore show. It was entitled The Velvet Voice. It aired in December of 2022. And the Velvet Voice was Johnny Mathis. He was in town to do a concert, and Eric and I had a chance to speak with him, and it was just a great interview. Now, Voices of Experience, we talk about public affairs, travel, fitness, education, history, current events, and entrepreneurship. And we air on Kixie Wednesdays at 3 p.m., as you probably know. And it is simulcast with Hubbard's sister station, KKNW AM 1150, and rebroadcast on Kixie only Sundays at 11 a.m. Thanks to Neil Peterson, Eric Crema, 
Eric Ryder, and Benny Mathers. Quote of the week. I've learned that you can tell a lot about a person by the way he or she handles these three things. A rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. Maya Angelou. This week's Timeless Classic coming up next. This week's Timeless Classic was written for a movie that was made in 1943 by the name of Meet Me in St. Louis, and it was sung by Judy Garland. This version was sung by Frank Sinatra in the 1950s. The song has been rated in many music polls over the years as a top 100 songs of all time. Frank Sinatra, and have yourself a merry little Christmas. Oh, and by the way, if you've never seen Meet Me in St. Louis, great movie, and Judy Garland sings this song as well as Frank Sinatra. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be Next year all our troubles will be out of sight Have yourself a merry little Christmas Make the Yuletide Next year all our troubles will be miles away Once again as in olden days Happy golden days of yours Faithful friends who were dear to us Will be near to us once more Someday soon we all will be together If the fates allow Until then We'll have to muddle through Somehow So have yourself A merry little Christmas Now Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of your faithful friends who were dear to us will be near.
the fates alive Until then We'll have to muddle through Somehow So have yourself A merry little Christmas Now Small